Well, good morning again. Grab your Bibles. And yes, go ahead and turn to the book of John. I don't know if you've ever read a uh, newspaper before. Um, open up a media outlet. Uh, maybe turn on the TV. Any one of those things. And as you did, you were wowed by an incredible story. Like I said, either you're reading or you're watching and you just see it and you're like, wow. Wow, that's just incredible. What if we had that kind of media ability back in biblical times? What if we could turn on the TV and we see Jesus performing a miracle? What if we were to open up the newspaper or pull up our phones and the media outlet's like, whoa, did you see this, this video right here, what Jesus just did? We'd be like, wow, right? And then we hear this, hey, Jesus is coming to your city. Jesus is coming to your town. We're like, what? He's coming here? Oh, man. Well, let me ask you this. At that point in time, man, would you buy a ticket to go see Jesus? I mean, it's like, Jesus, coming to your city. He's like, yes, I'll pay, I'll pay, right? Well, here's the amazing thing is, Jesus never charged anybody to come hear him speak. Just go back in the Bible. Every time you hear Jesus speaking, it was like, there's an admission charge to get in the house tonight. Okay, five denarii, okay? No, usually what happened is Jesus spoke and people received. It's an amazing thing, Right? He tended to bless those who came and they didn't have to pay anything except maybe a surrender of their life. In your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. And here's the thing, we're, we're only in chapter 6, but get this. Even though we're like a quarter of the way through the book of John, we're actually two-thirds of the way through the life of Jesus. There's a lot that John doesn't cover that the other gospel writers do. Two years have passed since Jesus first began his ministry. We're only one year away from his crucifixion and yet, and his resurrection. And yet we're only in John chapter 6. In John chapter 5, if you remember, we learned that Jesus is equal with God. Jesus claims to be God. He gives these great claims and he backs up with a bunch of evidence. And then as I pointed out last week, between John 5 and John 6, there's about actually six months work and ministry that takes place including the Beatitudes, which are great teachings of Jesus. A Roman's officer's servant is healed. A widow's son is raised to life. And last week we talked about Jesus calmed the storm. Then he took these demons, tossed them out of this man, and he threw them into these pigs, a herd of pigs, 2,000. And then they went cliff diving, and we have our first recording of swine flu. Good, yes, that was so much better than the first service. They're like, ha, ha, Pastor appreciation joke. Okay, yeah, we'll just laugh for you, Pastor. Whatever. Anyway, in all those stories that are recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John did not record all those. But now we get to one where all four of them are coming in together. Because it's a short time right after that when the, when the pigs took a dive that John the Baptist, he now is arrested. Remember, John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. He's arrested, he's put in prison, he's persecuted, and then he is beheaded. And Jesus is just, just think about this. If this was your cousin, your first cousin, if this was somebody close to you whom you love, and they, are, they didn't die from cancer, they didn't get sick, they, 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 they didn't die of old age, they were murdered in the prime of their life. You would be distraught, right? Well, Jesus was. 
And we read here that Jesus wanted to get away. And it's right after this takes place that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record what takes place next. So it must be pretty significant, right? It's the only miracle in which all four of the gospel writers record. Some of them record to one another. But here, all four record what we're about ready to read in John chapter 6. To say this is a story that's made up or far-fetched or like, oh, they, they probably got... No, no, no. Four different authors, different time periods, come together with the same story. But they never came together in person. They never met up with each other. They didn't compare each other's notes. But yet they have the same story and they give physical evidence of how it all went down. It says that they crossed from the north side of the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now we've got a location, right? In different uh, portions of the scripture, Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 13 to 14, Mark chapter 6, it tells this story. I want to give you the background to those. I want to read this to you because you're going to hear something different. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 says, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he went off by himself. Again, he heard the news of John the Baptist being beheaded. He went off by himself in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard he was where he was headed, and they followed by land from many villages. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed the sick. I want to be alone. I want to mourn the loss of John the Baptist. I'm going to get in a boat. But these vast crowds from many towns follow him. They're running along the shores, right? And he gets there, and he gets out of the boat, and he has compassion on them, and he heals the sick. What does Mark say about this? Mark chapter uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says this. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. They told him all they had done, what they had taught. Then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quieter spot. But many people saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran along the shore and met them as they landed. And then we go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9, 11. And in the book of John, we get more. And here we get from Luke chapter 9, verse 11 says, They slipped away quietly with them toward the town of Bethsaida, but the crowds found out where he was going. They followed him, and he welcomed them, teaching them about the kingdom of God and caring for those who were ill. So he not only healed them, but he taught them. So you take these gospel writers, and what they're saying is, Jesus is mourning the loss of his cousin. His disciples just came back from this ministry tour. They're whipped. They're tired. He's emotionally distraught. Let's get in a boat. Let's get away to a quiet place. But people from many towns, large crowds, are running along the shore, watching this boat go across the sea. And they're going to follow him. So when he gets off the boat, he's going to heal them because he has compassion on them. He sees them, as Mark said, a sheep without a shepherd. And so he's going to teach them and heal them. And John, he gives a similar thing. We'll read that in a second. But for John, he gives more of a historical significance. Because he's going to mention that this is the time of the Passover. Why is that important? Because the Passover takes us back to Moses when he took the people out of Egypt. They left Egypt and they went into a desert land. And in this desert land, they had nothing. And God provided food for them. They were very needy. 
And God said, I got you. And they remember that they were saved from the angel of the Lord, right? And now, here these people are coming again out to a remote place, a place where there's no food, and they're very needy for various different reasons. So let's pick this up now. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Let's read there. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with the disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, hey, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves, two fish. What good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down in grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. So we look at this story and let's, let's define a few things. First of all, who is the cast in the story? Who are all the people that are mentioned here? And again, as I said last week, the main character of every story in the Bible is who? It's all on the screen there. Who is it? God. God's always the main, main character of every story. Now, we've got a bunch of other characters. Take a look at them there. We've got the crowds of people. We've got Philip. We've got the young boy. And we've got Andrew. But God's always the main character. But let's pick on a couple of these. Let's start with the crowds of people. When you look at verse uh, 2 of John chapter 6, what does it say? It says a huge crowd. They kept following him. They loved what they heard about him, what they saw him do. They're coming around from many towns. And they wherever he went. Now look why, though, they followed him. Because, look at verse 2. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. This guy can do anything. We're amazed by him. Let's follow him. Let's see what, he, what he's going to do next, right? Let's see what he has to say. They, they, they knew their needs were being met. Their eyes were being bedazzled about what's going on, right? Now look at Philip now. Philip now is our next character we look at. And maybe Jesus looks at Philip because he's from the region. He's from that area, so he would know what's around. And maybe he's good with numbers. He's good with calculating things. We're not sure exactly why, but Jesus points out to Philip and says, Philip, got a question for you. Where can we find enough food to feed all these people? Now, did you hear how that question was posed? Where? The question is where? So we're expecting a location, right? Philip says, you know, Jesus, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough to feed all these people. They wouldn't get a bite to eat. Was Jesus asking about probability? Was Jesus asking about calculations? He said, he said, where? Hey, Philip, where? And Philip's like, you know, I was thinking this through, doing the calculations in my head, you know, move that stone, mark that down. Yeah, um, if we worked eight months, eight months, not, not even everybody here could get a bite to eat. That's not what I'm asking, Philip. Philip's basically saying there's not enough resources, money, food, or whatever it may be. And I, but here's the thing. I love that Philip gave a, a, a real live response. He didn't use Christianese. And what I mean by Christianese is this. Whenever I'm out in public or I'm somewhere and somebody finds out I'm a pastor, they, they change lingo with me. They no longer talk simple or plain with me. Now they talk like, oh, you're a pastor. 
And all of a sudden they stand up a little bit straighter and like, you know, um, I go to church on Sundays and, and, and then they start saying, it's like almost like a time of confession. It's like, dude, you can talk to me. You can, you can actually use the word dude with me if you want, okay? Oh, I didn't know if I could say that. You know, and it's like, I, I get it. You want to speak Christianese. We expect Philip in this moment, because he's talking to Jesus, he could have turned on the old Christianese dialect and said, you know, Jesus. We know that you are the supplier of all our needs. We do not need a town. We do not need a store. We do not need any kind of storehouse of food, not chests of silver or gold, because thou is Jesus, and thou is the supplier of all of our needs. He would have spoken King James Version type, whatever, right? But he doesn't do that, does he? He's so real. He's like, hey, Jesus, yeah. I know you're asking where and all that, but here's the thing, man. We, we, we work as hard as we want. Months, months of wages. And there's no way. There's no way we could give these people a bite to eat. Thanks for being real, Philip, because he calculated it out. Eight months, everybody gets one bite. And is that really going to be sufficient for everybody? I mean, how many of you, maybe you've missed a meal, you skipped a meal, you're super hungry, and you walk in and like, oh, would you like a piece of cheese on a cracker? No, I'd like a whole chunk of cheese, and I would like a box of crackers. As a matter of fact, I'd like a steak, right? For those of you, and this is not to make anybody feel bad, but if you make cake pops, good for you, but I like cake, okay? <laughs> not cake pops. You know what a cake pop is? It's an appetizer, Okay? Some of you will go out and you'll spend 2 to $3 at a, at a nice coffee place. You'll buy a cake pop. And I'm sitting there going, if I'm going to buy 2 or $3 worth, I'm going, to go to, I'm going to go get a Big Mac or something for 2 or 3 bucks, okay? Because that was it. That was an appetizer, right? Just I'm being real with you, okay? Because some of you, you like the mini M&Ms. You're like, I don't know. For some of you, you're like, what? Oh, I'm full. I can't eat anymore. Really? One M&M was too much. So we had to make minis just in case you could only eat half an M&M, right? I heard a comedian talk about that one time, and I couldn't help but laugh along with him. I'm sitting there going, he is so right. Where did we come up with these little mini things? You know what happened? They're called crumbs, okay? And the companies figured out how to sell crumbs, okay? And they just made minis, okay? Here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Nobody wants a bite, okay? When you're super hungry, you don't want a bite, do you? You want a full meal. Here's thousands of people on a hillside. And what's Philip like? Hey, we can give him a bite. <laughs> At that point in time, don't you think Peter, I love it. Peter is never mentioned in this story, but you know Peter's sitting there biting his tongue. He's like, oh, a bite. I can't say anything. I'm not allowed to. I can't be recorded in this story, right? Because everybody knows a bite is enough. I want to be fulfilled. I just don't want a bite. I want to come back to this later. Let's go to the next one. A young boy. Does anybody know the young boy's name? No. Not listed, right? It's just the fact that he is the only one who seems responsible enough to pack his lunch that day. Thousands of people, and all they found was this little boy. There had to be a mom out there somewhere. It's like, I packed, you know. And there was a husband like my wife always packs, right? But in this story, there's nobody but this one boy that comes forward, right? And in the same sense, we learn that what he feels is insignificant. All I have is this. Now, I want you to think about this. Because I believe a lot of us will often say to ourselves, I tried, but it doesn't seem to be enough. It wasn't good enough. I don't have enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. I guess my value, you know, we, we look at ourselves and we always put ourselves in the short end, don't we? 
We never think we're good enough. And here's the thing. I think Satan will often drop that little lie right into our thought life. Oh, you're not good enough. Uh, you, you don't have what it takes. And all of a sudden, we sort of feel like that little boy says, what I have, does it really matter? And then we start questioning what we can do for the Lord because we're now feeling short of ourselves. Now we're like, well, I don't know if it really matters if I smile at that person or if I compliment that person or I do something nice for that person. I really don't know if if my offering seems sort of small. I don't really know if it really matters to the church if I give that little amount. I don't know if it really matters if I show up and volunteer once out of the month at the church. Does that really matter what little I do? Let me answer that for you. Yes. Whether you think what you have is big or small, it all matters to God. It matters. I believe that when we bring our gifts to Jesus, he takes what we label as insignificant and calls it significant. He transforms what we have what we, and who we are into something greater. I believe that. Think about this. What is dust? In the hands of God, mankind. What is a slingshot in a little shepherd boy? It's called a giant killer. What is the jawbone of a donkey in the hands of Samson? It's called an army destroyer. What is fish and bread in the hands of a little boy? It's called a feast for thousands. What you have, what you think is so insignificant, do not be discouraged by it. Because I believe God says it is significant. It matters. I don't know if you've ever watched the show America's Got Talent. Um, There's times when I've watched it with our family. Our family enjoys that show. I watch it on occasion, off and on, because sometimes I feel super insignificant when I watch that show. Okay? Do you watch people sing on there? They act, they dance, and I'm sitting there going, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. There's no way I can perform like that, right? It's very easy to compare ourselves and saying, well, I can't do what they do. Watching professional athletes do the things they do, and I'm sitting there going, I can never do that. Spelling bee contest. You ever watch that? Yeah, I could never do that. I could, I could sit there and say, can you give me, you know, they're always like, can you give me the definition? Okay, can you give me, can you use it in a sentence? I'd be like, can you give me the first six letters? I mean, (laughs) help a brother out, right? I couldn't do that. Okay, all these people are doing these things and and, and you you know why they can do it? Because God gave them the gift for those things. That's their little thing that they might think is insignificant, but it's really significant. God didn't give me those talents. He gave me a different talent and he gave those talents to those people to use for his glory. Take God's gift that he gave you. Use it for his glory. That's what he did to give given you this. So where did this boy come from? That leads us to the next character, Andrew. Listen, you may not be that pessimistic person like Philip was. And uh, you may not be the boy with the goods. But you might be the Andrew of the story. You may not have what Jesus is asking for, but you know somebody who does. There's a lot of times when I've had people help me out, whether they're on a board or a situation, and, and I've asked them for something like, I don't, there's no way I can do that. I said, I know, but you might know somebody who does. It's like you might be that Andrew. You might see something in somebody else that nobody else does. Andrew shaped this boy's life. I want you to think about this. This next day, can you imagine this little boy the next day, the day after the miracle? 
He's probably back at home in his little remote village with his other little Middle Eastern buddies, right? And, and they, they might be playing games, doing chores, but then he, they sort of stop and they're hanging out and they're like, hey guys, yesterday, man, incredible. Did you hear about that Jesus over on the other side of the sea? Oh yeah, yeah, we heard about it. I was there. No way. Yeah. And I had a lunch, five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish. You know what Jesus did? What did he do? He took my bread, he took my fish, and then he, wait a minute, he took your lunch? Yeah. No, my lunch, did he sign your bag? No, he didn't sign it. But he took it then, and he lifted it up, and he started praying. Then what did he do? Well, then he brought it back down, and then he started breaking it into pieces. He did it for hours. What? No, hours. And everybody was eating. We were so full, and then they had 12 baskets of food left. No, you're lying, man. There's no way you can take that little sack of food. Now you got 12 baskets. It happened. It happened. Really? Yeah. I don't know if it went down like that, but can't you imagine a little boy just so excited, so pumped, telling all of his buddies? Thanks to Andrew, this kid's life was impacted. See, we need more Andrews that can find the people out there that need to be impacted and transformed by Jesus. Some of you might be an Andrew this week and bringing people to, to vacation Bible school. Some of you kids out there, you might be an Andrew this week because you already know Jesus. Now it's time to bring somebody else to come meet Jesus. That might be your role this week. So there you go. You got the characters in the story. You got the cast of the show. But again, let's remember who the main character is, and that is, it's God, isn't it? Or we should say in this story, God in the flesh, which is Jesus Christ. He sees those in need. He shows compassion. He manages a team of people and works them together to accomplish something pretty incredible. It's a great story, right? But how did this story begin? It began with what? A need. A need. Before we ever turn to Jesus, there must always be a need. We don't usually go to God unless we need something. We usually don't get on our knees to pray unless we were asking for something. We want something, right? Needs wake us up to our insufficiency, what we're lacking, what we're hoping for, what we're praying for. And those kind of things wake us up to the fact that I can't do it on my own. So where are you at, God? Right? Physically, we may be lacking in various ways, whether it's financially, whether it's our health, whether it's natural resources. For the first time in years, we are experiencing an agricultural scare in our area which in biblical times, they experienced it all the time. Droughts were common. Not planting crops common, but for us it's not common. It's uncommon, so it's scary for us. Emotionally, we're lacking. We are in need. Nervous breakdowns, despairing feelings, uncontrollable anger. Spiritually, we're lacking. We can't please God on our own. With all these things, until we accept our deficiencies and recognize our needs, we don't need God. But here on this hillside are a bunch of people who needed Jesus. And really, that might be us. We may not be Philip. We may not be Andrew. We may not be the little boy. We just might be a face in the crowd that's saying, I'm, I'm in need. I'm in need. In this moment, John sort of points us back to Egypt and Exodus and the children of God, they left Egypt to head out into the desert. And out in the desert, they were hungry. They had fluctuating temperatures, no, no stores, no shelters. They were very needy. They had to depend on who? 
God. <laughs> that was it. They, they had to trust him. And now these people, they're in the wilderness area. There's a massive crowd. There's no stores. There's no food. We're hungry. Who, who are we going to for help? Sort of feels like Moses in the wilderness. Only this time it's Jesus and, and Philip is saying, we can't do this on our own. We can't. And that's like Jesus saying, good. That's all I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear you say, we can't. Because I can. And here's where the fun begins. Now, if you, if you have something and you want to disperse it in equal amounts to everybody, you do what? You have to divide it up or multiply it or add to it? How do you, what's going to be the mathematical situation in this story? So I'm going to show you the math equation that Jesus used because here's how it worked. He had five pieces of bread, two fish. Now, in the story we read, there's 5,000 men, but women and children means it could have been over 15 to 20,000 people. We're going to roll with 15,000 right now, okay? So we got five and two, that's seven. I'm going to hand it out, and that means I only got to come up with 14,993 more pieces of food, okay? So how am I going to do this the way Jesus did it? I'm going to show you the equation. Just look up on the screen here. That was the math equation that Jesus used. Everybody get that? Okay, I just made that up. I have no clue what that is or what the answer is. But when I'm trying to figure out what Jesus did here, I'm just sitting there thinking, I think Jesus just messed with arithmetic. So any math teachers out there, and here's the thing, uh, in high school I wanted to be a math teacher until my junior year, and I had to take analytic geometry, trigonometry, with a teacher who never taught it before. She's like, we're all going to learn together. That was my last year of wanting to be a math teacher. But anyway... I still do enjoy math, but I'm looking at this. I'm trying to figure out, and I can't. And I'm sitting there going, he divides and multiplies. He takes seven items, divides them, multiplies them, and yet we learn that they had enough to feed over 15,000 people and had 12 baskets left over. Figure that one out, right? Let, let me hear you say, wow. wow. That's all we need to say after the story, really, right? I mean, it, it's hard to believe. Let's, let's be conservative. Let's say... In this story, that you know, we know it's poor man's bread, it's barley, okay, and the fish were sardine sized. But let's say it was five loaves of bread, and let's say it wasn't sardines; it's was twelve-inch perch, okay. So let's 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 make it a little bit bigger, and let's say it was five thousand, not fifteen thousand. Let's just go with the men only, and let's say that there were some some responsible men out there that actually packed their own lunch too. Still using that kind of thought, which is very unbiblical because we've got to go with what the Bible says, right? To divide all that up and to give everybody so that they had enough to eat. They're like, I'm full, I'm full, you're full, I'm full, right? And we have 12 baskets left over. Tell me how they did that with five loaves of bread and two big fish. Let me hear you say, wow. <laughs> yeah. We got, let me help you out. I'll put it up on the train. There we go. Where is it at? We just missed it. How to come, come back, come back, come back. There, there it is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes we get a little too Christian-like. I'm like, oh, that is, that, is, that is moving. That is deep. No, it's just wow. It's, it's, it's just wow. How did he do this? I don't know. But all four gospel writers, basically writing from various times, various locations, never sitting down with each other, all come up with the same story. Wow. Can I, can I just say something for those of you that maybe look at this? There's people that look at this story and they say, I don't, I don't believe it. There's some people out there like, yeah, I don't know. Here, it's really simple. Stop fighting the good news. 
Okay? Please, just quit, quit fighting the good news. It is real. It is true. It happened. And remember, God's always the main character of these stories. And just here's what he wants you to know. God wants you to know, one, he cares and he is able. He cares and he is able. Just like man in the desert, God was able to provide that physical food, right? Food in ancient history was a blessing. Harvests were always uncertain. So when you had food, it was a symbol of prosperity. And these people found in that moment a huge blessing from Jesus. They were blessed beyond what they could ever ask for. So they not only got this physical blessing of food, but they heard him teach and share about who he was. And we're going to learn in a few weeks here how he says, oh, by the way, I'm the bread of life. These people just put all this bread in their mouth. And Jesus goes, by the way, I'm the bread of life. What do you mean by that? Well, we'll find out later, right? Philippians 4.19 I don't know if you ever asked God to spiritually feed you, but Paul from prison. Listen, Paul from prison. Uh, Worst place to be, right? He says this, And this same God who takes care of me, you're in prison, right, Paul? Yep. Will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He's in this horrible place, but yet he says, I'm blessed. I've got this rich God who loves me, and he wants to do the same for you. He wants to meet you right where you're at and just bless you. Turn to John chapter 6, verse 11, and let's read what it says. They ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces, filled 12 baskets and scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. They were full. (laughs) I love it. They had more than a bite, Philip. God doesn't want to just give you a bite. He wants to make you full. They had plenty of leftovers. Listen carefully. God wants to fill us. God wants to fill us up. Jesus did it physically and later in point in time, like I told you, he's going to tell you how he does it spiritually. But I want to, I want to close with this scripture and, and then I'll ask the worship team to come up here. From Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 20. Listen carefully, okay? Listen carefully to this. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his heart or make your home and make home in your hearts and will fill you when you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for each of us. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us, to accomplish more than we might ask or think. Glory to God in the church and in Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Church, listen very carefully. In our times of need, in our times of hunger, God can fill us. Do not waste what God has given you. 
you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've got God's Spirit at home in you right now. He is filling you up with His power, with His greatness, with His love. You have all you need. We claim to be needy at times, and we, we are at needy at times. But let's remember He wants to fill those needs with His presence. I heard somebody say one time, Well, you're a Christian. Why don't you act like one? Wow, right? Listen, church, you're the basket. You're carrying the leftovers right now, okay? Our words are empty unless we are feasting on his daily supply of kindness and goodness and the nourishment that he provides to his spirit. Instead of anxiety and worry, we can feast on his peace. You may feel like God's forgotten you, but he hasn't. Like I said, you may say, I'm not Philip, I'm not Andrew, I'm not the little boy. I'm just a face in the crowd. Let me say something, tell you something. When those people were walking up, he saw them. And he already had a plan for what to do. He sees you right where you're at. And he has a plan for you as well. You know, I, sometimes I look at this story and I try to look at it with fresh eyes. Because I know I preached this this story about a year and a half ago and probably eight years before that. And um, I was sort of like, all right, God, there's got to be something new in this story, right? As I'm looking here, this, this, this sort of quote came to my mind. That is this. There's nothing that God has done in the life of any other Christian at any other period of history that he's not able to do in you if that is his plan for your life. Just as Jesus can fill up those people, just as Jesus can heal those people, just as Jesus can forgive people their sins, he can do that right now for each and every one of us in here. Where are you needy? Where are you lacking? Remember, God's the main character of the story. He sees you right where you're at. He cares about you, and he is able to meet you right where you're at and fill you up, to multiply his goodness and give it to you. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for this story to remind, remind us, God, that we are needy people, no doubt about it. And not to put ourselves into the position of these people that were in this story, of being a Philip and Andrew, the young boy, or facing a crowd. Regardless of who we are, you see us right now where we are. And then when we feel insignificant, you look at us and say, that's not true. Because you made us significant. And when we're feeling like we're lacking, we're empty, that's actually a good thing because that finally drives us to you the one who can fill us up, the one who can meet our needs. So God, I ask right now that you just look on down on this church because God, I know there's somebody in this room right now that financially they are worried about their next paycheck and they're wondering, can you help? And there's somebody in this room, Lord, who relationally right now is alone and feeling alone and hates it because they feel miserable. And they're wondering, will I always feel alone? Will there ever be somebody there to love me? God, let them know you can take care of that need. 
And God, there's somebody in this room right now, Lord, I know that is struggling with another relationship. Though they've got somebody right next to them, but yet they're still struggling in that relationship. They wonder, can I ever make this relationship work the way it needs? And God, you can take care of that need too. And God, we can go down the list. There's so many needs in this room right now, but the greatest need that you took care of was our need for eternity in your presence, was to be forgiven from our sins. And you came yourself on a cross to die for us, to come back to life for us because you said, I will take care of the greatest need that mankind will ever have. So God, thank you for giving us your grace and your mercy, giving us new life. That's our greatest need. You are able to fulfill all needs. You love us. Thank you, God, for loving us, for caring about us, for taking care of us. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We thank you above all gods. You are the only God. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.